0: Other than your favorite Christmas movies that you've watched a million times, what's the one movie that you've watched over and over again the most? For me, it's The Two Popes. I've watched it at least five times. I watched it again this morning. And that's more times than I've watched any other movies, except maybe the Lord of the Ring movies and those Christmas movies like It's a Wonderful Life and the amazing family classic Fred Claus Let's talk about it, loved ones. I'm Bruce, and this is A Bigger Story. The Two Popes is a semi-fictionalized account of the transition from Pope Benedict XVI to Pope Francis. Aside from the actors Jonathan Price and Anthony Hopkins being just spot-on brilliant in their depictions of Francis and Benedict, the movie has some dialogue that I find to be spiritually really, really deep. And it's fun. I mean, you know a movie about two popes with Abba's Dancing Queen as the recurring piece of music throughout the movie has got to be fun, right? I watch it a lot because it inspires me. There's much about Jorge Bergoglio, Pope Francis, that inspires me, intrigues me, gives me hope. I learn a lot from listening to him, watching him. Did you watch and do you remember the night that he was elected and they announced from the balcony in St. Peter's Square in Latin, Habemus Papam, we have a pope. And out he stepped, clad very simply in the basic white papal robes, his own black shoes, not the typical red shoes that they put on a pope, none of the ornate, elaborate vestments that his predecessor was prone to wear. In the movie, the priests, in charge of dressing him as pope for the first time, try to put all these fancy vestments on him, and he refuses, shakes his head, says, the carnival's over. So after Habemus Papam, we have a pope, and the announcement of this bishop from far away Argentina, out he steps onto the balcony with this gentle, warm, humble smile on his face. And his first words are in Italian, Buona sera, good evening. And then he asks for prayers for Benedict. And then, this was extraordinary, he bowed deeply to the gathered crowd in St. Peter's Square. And again, with this deep, authentic humility, he asked them to pray for him. It was beautiful. I've joked with my wife, Maureen, that if I was single and celibate, I could easily go to work for Pope Francis. Sometimes I think that she thinks that that could be arranged. But then the minute I say that, I stop and I interrogate myself. Really, Bruce? You could go to work for a church that prohibits women from being priests and bishops or pope. You could go to work for a church that prior to Francis was notoriously harsh to LGBTQI plus people. You could go to work for a church that, for however much resource it puts into aiding the poor, the hungry, the sick, the oppressed, it also hoards so much wealth And the news still uncovers stories of bishops and other church prelates building these elaborate palaces for themselves. And most of all, Bruce, you could go to work for a church that has yet to come to a full reckoning for its revulsive sexual abuse by its clergy of countless young children. Those are the questions I ask myself. And I have this conversation in my head that goes something like this. That like every other human organization and like every other expression of church I can think of beyond the Roman Catholic one, that, yeah, it it is filled with horrific darkness. Sin, to use an old-fashioned word. Which is why if you are among the growing majority of those who are spiritually hungry, spiritually alive, but alienated from institutional church, you don't go to church anymore, I get it. Because it's not just one tribe, it's not just the Roman Catholic Church. These problems exist in any and all expressions of religion. In most of our communion liturgies on Sunday mornings or whenever else a mass or a Eucharist is said the Lord's Supper is celebrated, we hold up bread and we repeat the words of Jesus, this is my body given for you, and then we break the bread, we break the body. and if every Sunday in many churches, we're saying that on this side of life and death, that the body of Christ is broken. And then we look at what St. Paul, the apostle, writes to the followers of Christ, saying that they, the followers of Christ, are the body of Christ. So we are saying on Sunday mornings at Masses, Eucharist, celebrations of the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, we're holding up a piece of bread, saying that this is the body of Christ, We also say the church is the body of Christ and that on this side of life and death, that the body of Christ, the church, is broken. Why would we ever expect it to be otherwise? Now I want to be really, really careful. Please, I am not saying that the brokenness, especially the worst kinds of brokenness in religion, should ever be tolerated. There are some kinds of brokenness that are just part of the way things are. The brokenness of natural events, whether it's a hurricane that destroys people's lives or a miscarriage or the brokenness of mental illness, brokenness that is not born out of evil or not necessarily born out of evil. Sometimes it's very complicated. And yes, there is indeed some brokenness that is indisputably nothing but the most powerful, horrific evil. So I ask myself, in what will likely and hopefully be forever a hypothetical scenario, because I love being married, would you really go to work for Francis and that deeply flawed church he leads? And my answer is, maybe. All religions, and more specifically, all human-led expressions of religion, which is really the only experience of religion we ever have, all religions are deeply flawed, even as they are also deeply good and redemptive, and life-transforming sometimes in the best ways. So because I believe that we humans still need to gather around campfires in person, embodied, we still need to tell each other stories, wisdom stories of hope and grace and redemption, and I still believe that churches and synagogues and mosques and temples, not the brick and mortar, but the people, are still valuable and needed as part of the ecosystem of places where these redemptive, unifying wisdom stories are told, that all leads me to say that I still want a tribe, a tribe of people who are seeking the thriving and the flourishing of our neighborhood, of our communities, of our world, places both close to home all the way to the farthest reaches of the planet. And I still think that that's best done in groups, by communities of people somehow doing life together, at least parts of life together, teaming up together for a common intention. I'm recording this episode several days after the 2022 midterm elections in the U.S. Leading up to the election, I was repulsed by much of what I saw and heard from one of the two major parties in America. And I was disappointed by much of what I was seeing and hearing from the party to which I feel the closest affinity. I was frustrated, disappointed. And then I saw this quote, and I've researched to try to figure out who said it. A British screenwriter named Debbie Moon seems to be the one who first shared it, but she was quoting someone else, but she doesn't say who. And the quote goes like this. Voting isn't marriage. It's public transport. You're not waiting for, quote unquote, the one who's absolutely perfect. You're getting on the bus. And if there isn't one to your destination, you don't not travel. You take the one going closest. And I think that that's great wisdom. For a long time, I heard this phrase, mostly from the realm of business leadership. Don't let the good be the enemy of the great. And in context, that can be a useful challenge. But then one day I shared with my therapist a dilemma I was facing because it looked like the organization I was leading that we could achieve something good, but I wanted to hold out for a different outcome that I didn't think would be good, but would be great. And I didn't want to settle, but I wasn't sure that the great could ever happen. So I was ready to pull the plug entirely. And my therapist said to me, Bruce, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. I think that wisdom shared by Debbie Moon, the screenwriter, about voting applies equally well to our spiritual journeys. I think, first of all, that as much as I love my times of deeply personal, individual contemplation and prayer, being up early in the morning and lighting a candle and sitting in the darkness of a room and reading a book and closing my eyes and communicating with the divine flow that I sense all around us, as much as I love that private time. Most of all, I believe our spiritual journeys are really done best in groups, hence the fellowship of the ring, the divine secrets of the Yahya sisterhood, stories about groups of people traveling together to go somewhere that they could never go alone. And then that quote from Debbie Moon, I played with it a little bit so that it's not about voting, it's about our spiritual journeys. So it sounds like this. What if the spiritual journey we're called to isn't marriage? It's public transport. You're not waiting for quote-unquote the one who's absolutely perfect. You're getting on the bus with other people. And if there isn't one to your precise destination, you don't not travel. You take the one going closest. I think we need traveling companions. And I think the stories of humanity and the stories of our own lives are always, always bigger than than just us. None of us is as smart as all of us. As Martin Luther King Jr. said several times, I can't be who I was meant to be until you are who you were meant to be, and you can't be who you were meant to be until I am who I was meant to be, and that's the interrelated nature of our universe. We need each other. We probably would all benefit from being on a bus with others whose general direction stands the chance of enriching our lives and together enriching our neighborhoods, our communities, our world. Some of you have fed back to me that that kind of community could emerge from what we're sharing here in a bigger story. And I agree with you. And we will work on that. And, by the way, if you end up watching The Two Popes, make sure you don't dump out of it when the credits start to roll. If you do, you'll miss some of the most fun and hopeful and heartwarming scenes in the movie. Because always, in our lives, after the credits roll, after we give credit to those who came before us, the story always continues. And the more inspired and hopeful and joined up with others we feel, the better the likelihood that that continuing story will also be a bigger story. Stay in touch. Bruce at brucecole.tv. Remember you are loved.